invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Our passage this morning, if you're uh, following along in a pew Bible, it's on page 943. If you're following along in your bulletin, it's printed there for you on page 8. And so we'll be looking at Romans 6, verses 15 to 23 this morning, continuing on in Romans chapter 6. Well, on Monday, I did what I usually do on preaching weeks. I um, began the morning by studying the passage that we're going to be talking about today. And as I did, I saw that the passage was all about slavery, uh, slavery to sin, and how Christ sets us free. And then I opened my internet browser and my Google Calendar and realized that it was Monday, June 19th. Juneteenth, our most recent federal holiday. It became a federal holiday in 2021. And I had done some study of that holiday a few years back when um, it first came up. I didn't really know what the history of it was. And then on Monday, I studied it again, especially just coming out of study from scriptures about slavery. And it contains fascinating history. And I think it's a story that's really pertinent for what we'll be talking about this morning. As you may know, in America's history, in um, 1862, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, and it went into effect January 1st, 1863, and that freed the enslaved people in the Confederacy. And so as Union troops marched through, um, then people in those areas could go free. But by spring of 1865, nearly two years later, the Civil War had ended. Abraham Lincoln, by that time, was dead. Um, But in the westernmost state of the Union at that time, which was Texas, most slaves didn't even know that they had been freed. And so June 19, 1865, two and a half years after having been declared free, Nearly 2,000 Union troops marched into Galveston Bay, Texas, and their General Gordon Granger announced that the more than a quarter million enslaved black people in that state were freed by executive decree. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Two and a half years after being declared free, they hadn't heard that news, and so 2,000 men came in to let them know that news. And there was much rejoicing and celebration um, as those people heard that declaration. Six months later, in December of 1865, the 13th Amendment um, formally abolished slavery in the U.S. And as we know from history, that didn't solve everything. Uh, there was definitely a long, hard road ahead. Um, and a lot of changes that needed to be made, and we're still dealing with implications of that today. But while not wanting to take away at all from the historical significance of what happened, I, I couldn't help but think of the similarities between that situation and Paul's point in our passage this morning. And I think it could be kind of highlighted just with this question. How much do you think that Christians understand what it means that they have been set free from sin? How often do you, as a believer, 
live in conscious awareness that something far more powerful than the Emancipation Proclamation has taken place in your life. In our passage, Paul is continuing to address questions that come up. Questions that come up in response to forgiveness of sin and the reign of grace. How we're no longer under law, but now under grace. And um, in our passage in in verse 15, he's going to ask another question. Are we to continue to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? The essence of it is this, oh, we're under grace, right? Doesn't that just give us freedom to sin more? And you know what Paul's answer to that is? It's, wait a minute. I don't think you realize what has happened to you in Christ. Let me tell you about the freedom that has come to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. In a sense, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23 are Paul's Galveston Bay proclamation. You are no longer slaves to sin. You have actually been set free for something far better. You are now free to serve the living God. And so we're just going to unpack that this morning to see the richness of what this means for us as believers. So let me read our passage, Romans 6, 15 to 23, and then we'll pray and we'll ask for God's help as we consider it. Paul writes this, What then? Are we to continue to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, The fruit you get leads to sanctification and to its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So far the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask his help as we consider it this morning. Our Father in heaven, these are weighty and profound truths. They're things that really are far beyond us, and yet we ask that you would help us by the Holy Spirit to better know and understand your word, that you would encourage us in our struggles in this life, that you would help us to understand what has been done for us through the work of our Lord Jesus, and that you'd fill us with joy and wonder and awe of what we have been freed from and what we have been freed for. Help us in all this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, as we consider our passage this morning, we'll do so in three points. We'll look at three things, and I'll tell you them up front, and then we'll, we'll walk through it as we go. But first, we'll see you are naturally a slave to sin. Second, you can now serve God. And then third, we'll talk about how to serve God. So you're naturally a slave to sin. You now can serve God. And then how Paul talks about how to serve God. So let's begin by considering what he says about the fact that we are naturally a slave to sin. Paul begins by explaining how things really work regarding spiritual slavery. And he says what Bob Dylan said. You've got to serve somebody, right? Bob Dylan actually got this part right. He says, well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. I'd never heard that song before, and I listened to it on repeat quite a bit this week. It's, it's very catchy. Um, but Paul lays that out here in verse 16. Look with me at verse 16. He says, there's, there's no such thing as absolute freedom for humans. Verse 16 says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness. So the first thing Paul lays out is you've got to serve somebody. And then secondly, he says there are only two masters. And you see that there in the text. The the first is sin, either of sin. And throughout this passage, Paul personifies, which means Paul gives personal characteristics to sin. We know that sin isn't a person, but he speaks of it in a personal way as a master or as the ruler of a kingdom or power. Sin is a master over us. So that's one master. The other master that you can serve is mentioned by several different terms in the passage. In verse 16, it says you can be slaves to obedience. In verses 18 and 19, it speaks of being slaves of righteousness. But look with me at verse 22. It tells us ultimately who those are referring to. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. You see, the other master that you can serve is God himself. And it's a service that's characterized by obedience and righteousness. And we'll talk more about all of this as we go. But you've got to serve somebody. There are only two masters and you naturally serve sin. Now, we may tend to think, especially as Americans who really value our freedom, we're going to be, we gave thanks for those who gave their lives for our freedoms on Memorial Day, Independence Day is coming up very soon. We may think, though, that spiritually, wait, aren't you born neutral? And then you just decide who to serve. And Paul says, nope, there are only two ways and you start out as a slave to sin. And this is because of what Adam has done um, that Paul laid out in Romans chapter 5. This also fits perfectly with what Jesus said that we heard in our scripture reading in John 8.34. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin, everyone who sins, is a slave to sin. And so Paul wants us to see that being a slave to sin is the natural condition of the human race because we're born in Adam, and that's what his disobedience brought for us. Well, what is this slavery to sin like? And the short answer is this. 
everything about being a slave to sin is negative. And Paul weaves together throughout this this picture of being mastered by sin. And in verse 19, he says that the life of serving sin is offering your members, which speaking of your members is offering your body, your whole self. He says it's service to sin in presenting your body to impurity and to lawlessness. It's a life that's characterized by impurity and lawlessness. Impurity is used by Paul to speak of sexual sin. Those could be outward things. Um, Those could be inward struggles. And then also lawlessness. Lawlessness is this more general term for all rebellion against God and against his commands. And so Paul says that this way of serving sin, it's characterized by impurity and lawlessness. And the result, he says there in verse 19, is that it leads to more lawlessness. As you follow sin in this way, it brings more rebellion against God and his ways. And we see this personally. It does it for you as you go further and further into sin than you ever thought you would go. And we see how it happens as we, it also encourages lawlessness in others and lawlessness in society. It reminds us of that very bad news that Paul talked about back in Romans 1, that unbelievers not only do these things, this whole list of things that he had listed there, but they give approval to those who practice them. It just spreads more and more. But in verse 20, Paul tells us that there's actually one thing that you're free from when you're a slave to sin. You're free from something as a slave to sin. You're free, it says in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. I think that's really tricky of Paul to word it that way. But I think when he does, it just captures the essence of the experience, doesn't it? Sin presents itself as offering so much freedom. And God's ways kind of tend to sound to us as restriction. But what sin is really offering you is freedom from that which is truly good. Freedom from righteousness. Freedom from living according to God and his character. And when we're enslaved to sin, sure, you may do good things. You may do benevolent things or things that are good in a common grace way, but ultimately those things are not for God. They are for your master, sin. And so Paul says, what do you get from all of this then in serving sin? And he asked that question in, in verse 21. You can notice it there. What fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. You know, as Paul describes this, I think it's really helpful to realize that sin is the cruelest master you can imagine. It seems like it will give you freedom. It seems like it will give you blessing. But what's the fruit of following in its ways? Shame over what you've done and what you've failed to do. Shame and death is what it ultimately leads to. In verse 23, Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. Serving sin gets you something. It gives you a paycheck, which is pretty good for being enslaved. You even get payment on top of your service. But what is that payment? It's death. 
the physical death that comes because we sin, and it's the consequence of that, but it's also that ultimate eternal death of being cut off from the goodness and blessing of God forever. And I, I, as I hear all of this together, I can't help but picturing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And they thought from the serpent's word that what they would do, even though God had told them not to, they, they thought that maybe God was holding out good from them and that this would actually be the better way. But then after they sinned, what was the fruit of it? They're there hiding and ashamed, receiving the verdict of death. And Paul says, that each of us, because Adam sinned, are, are born into this experience and we experience it over and over again. And our trek under the slavery of sin is one further and further away from the goodness and blessing of God. Now that's bad news, right? <laughs> There's good news to come. But before we go there, I want us to just think about it a little bit more. Because as I read all of that, one of the things that I think is this. Okay, Paul, I'm sure that's theologically right. I mean, Paul knows his stuff. (laughs) But I want to say to Paul, are you sure, though? It it doesn't seem that bad, right? Like, really, is that really the human condition for everyone? I mean, I know there are wicked people, and I have seen people who are so... um, given over to wickedness that it seems seems like something is definitely controlling them. They are enslaved to sin. And I've also seen people in the throes of addiction, and there's no other way to describe that than slavery and bondage. And so I understand that that's part of the human condition. But wait, everyone is naturally in this bad of a condition? And I think it's important to realize that what Paul is saying is not that all of our slavery looks the same, but that we are all part of the same system under the same master. It makes me think of Nazi Germany. You know, it was a a reign and a rule that committed horrible atrocities against mankind. And there were various ways, though, that people in Germany participated in that rule and in that reign, right? There were those who knew what was going on and wickedly and evilly and intentionally carried that out and participated in it. Some of them were tried and convicted. Many were not. But there were also lots of other people who, especially at first, were going along with this and supporting this regime, and thought that it was for a really good cause. It seemed like it would do a lot of good for them and a lot of good in the world. But you see, every good thing that they did, you know, raising money and rationing their food and metal to support the war, it was all in service of this more sinister goal. And ultimately, it brought the fruit of that evil. And what Paul wants us to see is those who are born in Adam, we are all working for and enslaved by the regime of sin. And that's what everything about our lives is contributing toward. It helps us understand what we see all around us, doesn't it? You know, people do wicked things. Some people hurt us very badly. 
And while this isn't an excuse, and the Bible never views this as an excuse, it does help us have some compassion, doesn't it? Because we realize they're enslaved to sin, and most often they don't even know it. But the other thing it does is not only helps us have compassion for people in their sin, but it also makes us cry out for a solution, doesn't it? I feel it as I'm standing here and I look at your faces. I'm like, move on to point two because this is really bad. What could deliver us from something so horrific? And that brings us to our next point. You can now serve God. You can now serve God. Paul says that there's some really good news. While we were in that condition... While we were under sin's mastery and slaves to it, God did something. And remember, Paul, we've been in Romans for a while, but Paul's Paul's just talking and going and unfolding. And and what he's been saying, we can remember just a few verses ago from Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his love for sinners like us who were enslaved to sin He loves them so much that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that changes everything. And what Paul draws out here is what that means is you have been set free from sin if you are trusting in the free gift and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice how he describes it there in verse 17. He says in verse 17, But thanks be to God. Isn't that how you feel as we come out of point one? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, and then he goes on to explain part of it that we'll talk about later, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. But notice what he says there as he goes on in verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God. You didn't do something. God did something. And he's changed your condition. And what that means is if you are a believer this morning, sin's mastery over you, it is over. You are no longer working in that system. You are no longer on sin's payroll, receiving the fruit of death. Instead, God is now your master. Now, that leads to the question then that Paul addresses. Well, what is slavery to God like? Slavery to sin was lawlessness and shame and death. But now, all throughout this passage, it's about obedience and righteousness and sanctification. All of the words that described us under the reign of sin Picture us along with Adam and Eve going further and further from Eden. But all the words about being a slave to God are the exact opposite. They're about words like obedience and righteousness and sanctification, which is moving back toward life with God as it was made to be. Now, I'm not sure how all of that sounds to you. When I read a passage like this and hear the contrast... Um, this is what comes to my mind. On paper, it sounds like a lot better arrangement than point one, right? Point one sounded really bad. 
righteousness, obedience, slavery to God, that sounds better. But it sounds better to me in a way that kind of feels like the lesser of two evils. Because when I hear it, my response is this. It's still slave language. It's still having a master. It still conjures up imagery to me of oppression and forced labor that's dehumanizing at its very core. Well, you know what I never saw in this passage before? Paul addresses that exact problem that we feel. In verse 19, he does something that I love, which is to give a caveat. I love caveats. And Paul gives a caveat here in verse 19 for that very concern. Verse 19 says, I am speaking in human terms because of our natural limitations or because of your natural limitations. Now, most scholars are convinced from the way these phrases are used elsewhere in other literature that this is a caveat about the nature of slavery and about how difficult it is to actually use it as an illustration. He knows that all of this slavery talk has baggage to it. I mean, as Paul is writing to the audience at Rome, um, as studies have been done of early Roman Christianity, the majority of Roman Christians were low-class slaves. If you think big city and who becomes a Christian in the big city in Rome, it's all the enslaved people. Uh, the majority of the church was in this way. And so when they hear slavery, they still have marks on their back from being beaten by their masters. They know the difficulties that this conjures up. And so there are many things about their experience of slavery that aren't parallel with being slaves of God. And so when Paul says to speak in human terms, what he means is he's using a human illustration to explain spiritual things. And he does so because of our natural limitations. Our natural limitations or weaknesses, it could be translated, they're not necessarily sinful, but what it means is we as people need earthly analogies to understand profound spiritual truth. And in those earthly analogies, there are going to be things that are difficult for us. Slavery is a very valid analogy when thinking about sin. It's also an inspired analogy when thinking about being enslaved to God. But what Paul's telling us here is we're going to have to work extra hard to imagine a kind of service and a work that is actually as wonderful as being a slave of God. We have to think far beyond the human situation that we may know to what it's really like to serve him based on what scripture says about who he really is. And so as we think about that, I think it's helpful to realize that serving God isn't forced labor. Serving God is what we were made for. You know, we've all probably had the experience of doing work that just doesn't suit you, right? It doesn't take your skills into account. It's just kind of manual labor to get the job done, and it, it wouldn't matter who is doing it. It's just you need a body there to do this task, to make this thing happen. And we probably know the experience of doing something that you don't really care about, something that's not really beneficial to you. It's just the boss's agenda. Kids, I'm not sure how much you really care that your room is clean or the car is washed. 
but you know it's important to your parents, and so you have to find yourself doing it. But it's not the most fulfilling thing you feel that you've ever done. But you've probably also had a taste of doing something that you were made for, something that connects with your skills and with your passions. And yeah, it's still work, but it's not toil. And there's something that's so fulfilling about it. And you've felt the difference when you're doing something that's not just someone else's agenda, but it's something that you know is truly good. You believe in it. And you know that it's good for you to be doing it as well. That experience is just a taste of what serving God is like all the time. It's not always easy, but it's genuinely good. Everything about it is good. And it's what you were made for. The God who created you and who knows everything about you knows exactly what it means for you to flourish in what you're doing as you represent him as someone made in his image. And so when we think of being slaves to God, we need to put this idea of forced labor out of our heads and see it as freedom to truly live. You know, we often hear words like obedience and righteousness, sanctification, which means becoming holy. When I hear those, I initially think of those as restrictions, rules, curbing our freedom, suppressing our identity. But those are really words of restoration. Those are really words of freedom. Those are words that speak of God changing us back into the people we were made to be before Adam's fall. In verse 22, Paul says that the fruit of serving God is sanctification, being made more holy, being restored and transformed to better image God. This, this broken and cracked mirror that we've become by sin, that mirror being mended and polished to better reflect the glory of God that we were made to display in our whole personhood. And it says in verse 22 that its end is eternal life. You know, sometimes we hear that and we think eternal life is just non-ending life. But we need to reframe how we think about eternal life. Eternal life is the most fulfilling and blessed life you could ever experience. And it goes on forever. Eternal life is life beyond our imagination. It is life with God. Being as close and as much like God as is possible for a person to be. You in the most godlike state you could ever be while still being a creature. That's what eternal life entails. And so serving God isn't some form of forced labor or oppression. It actually is freedom and power to live and to love and to experience love like you never have before. And so that's what Paul is saying has happened. Through Jesus' work, you've received the grace that not only has forgiven you of your sins, you have received the grace that has freed you from your old master. 
And you are now moment by moment receiving the grace and empowerment to live as one who is a servant of God, one of his restored image bearers. That's really good news. But how does that work? Could you be a little more practical, Paul? Well, yes, I can, Paul says. And he does that throughout. And so that brings us to our third point, how to serve God. What does it look like then to live as a servant, not to sin, but as a servant of God? You know, we've been focusing so far on the indicative that Paul highlights in this, the the declarations in Scripture of what is now true of us. And that's what Paul spends most of his time on. It's it's a litany of God's love for us, as one of um, my sisters shared at community group this past week. But sandwiched in the dead center, in, in the middle of Paul's explanation of who we are in God's love, is this imperative or a command of how we're to respond to what God has done. And he really tells us three things about how to serve God. Tells us three things. And since Paul's already said we're using human analogies and stuff, I'm just going to speak of them as showing up to work. Because I think if we think of it that way, it might be helpful. The first is show up for your new job. As a Christian who's been freed to serve God, step one is show up for your new job. Notice verse 19. He gives this caveat there. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But then here he goes on to the command. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. You know, this command tells us that even though our mastery has forever been changed, you can still show up to work for your old boss. You're no longer employed by sin anymore, but you know, if you want to show up and do some tasks for sin, it's not going to object. It's happy to let you do that. It may not have power over you anymore. You're no longer on the employee list, but sin is delighted when you are willing to do some tasks for it and to live how you used to live. And so Paul says, instead, make sure to present your members, your body, your whole self, as slaves to righteousness. And it's, it's kind of like this. I'm reporting for work today, and my task is to seek to do what is righteous. Those things that are in accord with God's good and holy character. You know, when we hear being a slave to God, it may sound like so much work. Being holy, being righteous, it sounds like it's above and beyond just normal human existence. But in the comparison that Paul draws out here, it's just as you once did this, you presented yourself in this way, now present yourself this way. It could be helpful to realize that it's not doing more, it's doing what we do differently. From doing what we did toward sin, toward doing what we do toward righteousness. And so presenting ourselves in this way means continually asking ourselves at whatever various thing we may be doing, what would be righteous? How could I use my body right now in this moment in a way that would reflect God's character and God's actions? 
And Paul says the result is sanctification. As we continually show up in that way and think through that, we grow in holiness, becoming more and more like Jesus in how we respond. And so the first step is show up for your new job. Present yourself in this way. But the second thing is learn the employee handbook. Learn the employee handbook. And we find that in verse 17. It tells us that something amazing has happened. He says, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now that's a mouthful, to be honest. It's a bit tricky to understand from how it's worded. But what Paul is saying is this. It's actually a beautiful picture. When you became a Christian, you were committed into, or you were, the word could be translated, handed over to a new teaching, to a new instruction. And it's the teaching of God's word. And it's not just that you have some new rule book or some new employee manual to follow. Do you notice what it says? He's changed you inwardly. You have become obedient from the heart to this instruction. When you became a Christian, you were taken out of a way of instruction, brought into a new instruction of God's word, and given a heart that can understand and obey that instruction, not just outwardly, but from the heart. Does that sound like any Old Testament promise to you? That's the long-awaited new covenant promise that you'd be given a new heart with God's law written on it and that you would from the heart obey the things of God. Paul says that is what has come along with being set free from sin and now becoming a servant of God. You can do this from the heart obedience and it's to this standard, he says, of instruction. And, And that word standard is really the word type. And part of the beauty of the word type is this. It's a picture that's used of a signet ring that was impressed upon soft wax to seal a document. And so this standard of teaching of God's word that we've been handed into and given a heart to obey, it's a word and a standard that presses into us and forms us and molds us so that we bear an image. And what is the image that we bear? It's the image of our Lord Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the restoration of that tarnished image. And so the picture here of of learn the employee handbook is really beautiful because what it is is this. All of God's servants placed under the instruction from his word and as you hear it and as you read it and as you are enabled to obey it from the heart, And even though none of us wear some sort of company uniform as those who are in God's service, we're all being formed according to that very same pattern, that perfect image bearing of Jesus Christ. And so show up for your new job, present yourself to righteousness, learn the employee handbook of how God's word reveals who he is and who he's making us to be, and then finally get to know your new boss. (laughs) Get to know your new boss. I find that the biggest breakdown for me as I think about this, the objection that we face as Christians 
is really summed up in the thought of that word master. You know, like with any human analogy for God, father, shepherd, vine dresser, it's always hard to imagine that through the lens of how good God really is in all of those things. The, the human pictures of it all fall short. I think it's really hard for us to envision a master who is this good. But Paul envisions a service to God that is from the heart. We can't miss that. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have been become obedient from the heart and have become slaves of righteousness. I want us to just stop and think for a moment about how you view the Christian life. I want you to think about how you view living each day as a Christian. How do you view your battle against sin each day? If your vision of Christian service or the Christian life or in fighting sin doesn't include from the heart, then it's missing the most important thing. It's actually sub-Christian because it doesn't contain the goodness of what the gospel says that this would come as a result of from our hearts we have a master who is so good that this is what we want to do. And that from the heart response, I confess, we don't have it all the time, right? It's something we grow in, but it's something that God is working within us. But how does, where does that from the heart response come from? It comes from getting to know the goodness of our master. As we remember what we've been freed from, every day we can declare with Paul, thanks be to God, because today I live as one who has been set free from sin. That helps our hearts well up in praise and thanksgiving, doesn't it? And and that heartfelt response comes when we remember what our service now is really is. Paul says at the end of this whole section, he says, for the wages of sin is death. You follow sin, you get a paycheck, and it's death. But you now are part of something completely different. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul describes serving God, you know what he doesn't say? A wage. Because there's no wage in it. This is what Paul's been saying all along. It's gift, gift, gift. Declared righteous as a gift. Freed from sin as a gift. Empowered to serve as a gift. Life with God forever as a gift. And so we realize that not only has God freed us from this, but now every day, every moment of every day, we are under this system. We are under this employment That's all gift. That's who our master is. It's not that he doesn't give us a wage because he's stingy. He doesn't give us a wage because he's so generous and he gives it all so that it can't even be called a wage and we can't boast 
in it. And he says that gift of God is eternal life. You know, I think sometimes when we think of God as a a master and we hear that he's given us a gift, we could think it's kind of like the employer who just throws nice things at us to keep us working and hopes we'll go away and do our work. (laughs) Here's another gift. Here's some stock options. Are you happy? Just keep doing what and leave me alone, right? We could think of God doing that. But the free gift of God is what? Eternal life which is life with him. That's the gift that he gives. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me forever, and I give it. And you get to experience that now as you live. You get foretaste now of what it's going to be like to live with me perfectly forever one day. And finally, that gift is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Scripture tells us again and again, if, we're, if we ever wonder about God's heart toward us as we serve him, we can see it most clearly in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because what does the cross proclaim to us? For God so loved you, as one who was enslaved to sin, that he gave. He shows his love for you in this, that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And so, brothers and sisters, the call towards serving God and no longer serving sin is really a call to understanding the wonder and grace of our true master, the God who loves us, has redeemed us, and will forever be with us through the work of Jesus Christ. God in his love and in his grace has freed us from sin so that we can know what it's like to truly live, to truly experience his love, and to be able to begin to show that love to the people around us as we serve him with our whole selves. That's the wonder of this grace that he's lavished upon us. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we often realize so little of what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has done for us. We pray that you would help us to grow in an awareness of that, that you would help us to, from the heart, present ourselves to you each day for the wonderful way of life that you continue to make possible by your grace, and that one day we will, we will know the fullness of what it's like to live perfect life, eternal life with you forever. Keep our eyes fixed on that, we pray and give us strength to battle those things that keep us from it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.